You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. All right. Everyone doing well? How about that worship team this morning? Man. It's, it's always a little bit harder when you lose bass and drums, but man, I love it when we do it because it's just, it feels different, doesn't it? But it feels different in a good way. How many of you uh, listened to Ray Hollenbach's message last week and then did what he said by reading Mark chapter 7 at some point this week? All right, all right. That's a couple of you. Not bad, not bad. All right. Well, uh, I'm pretty excited about this message, which is, uh, it's interesting because when I first read the passage, I wasn't that interested in it, and I didn't know um, what I could possibly say about it, um, but, but I've had a pretty crazy week, and the Lord has met me in some interesting ways. The last 36 hours of my life, uh, I've been living off of very little sleep, I I woke up Thursday morning around three o'clock in the morning and had to be at the airport by six o'clock. And I, I flew up to New York and, and did a couple of things on Friday and Saturday and then, and then flew back last night. Um, got home around 10 o'clock last night. But, uh, it, it's so interesting that when you find yourself in inconvenient moments, it's that's often the time when the Lord wants to speak to you the most or he wants to add something to you or he wants to give you something that um, that you're desperate for and you don't even know it. And so I found myself in what I like to call a glory moment. I, I was spending time with an old friend of uh, Robin's, a man named David Harwood, and he He's been faithfully serving the body of Christ in Glen Cove, New York, and for about 40 years. And, and he has a very small church, um, but he's just a substantial man of God. And I was just sitting in his living room for a number of hours, just listening to him talk about the Lord. And it was so edifying to me. It was so encouraging to me. And it made me think about how when I feel depleted in my life, that I need to get with Christians who are full of faith, who are following Jesus, who actively want to encourage me in my own walk with Jesus. Sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by friends who aren't necessarily pursuing God, and we wonder why we feel so discouraged and weak in our souls, in our minds. But who you run with matters. If you want to follow after Jesus, it would be helpful to that walk for you to walk with other people that are pursuing Jesus as well. All right? There are enough forces in this world that are trying to talk you out of following God for you not to feed yourself on the encouragement of your fellow believers who are actively walking with God. And I'm not saying you have to find perfect people to do that because none of us are qualified for that. Amen? What I'm talking about is an ongoing willingness to submit your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
That's a good thing for Christians to do, right? You would think that that's a given, but it's not. I've had seasons in my life where I probably wasn't the person that you should be hanging around with if you were wanting to be encouraged in your faith. But I feel that we're in a moment where God has given us a grace to be better at that. To be better at encouraging one another, to stir up one another in the faith. Paul is talking about that all the time in his epistles. He keeps saying this to the believers. He's like, you need to stir each other up. Stir each other up. Don't forsake the gift that was spoken over your life. Don't forsake the prophecy that was spoken over your life. Don't neglect the word of God that was spoken over your life. You know, the thing is this, is that God is speaking. He's always speaking. He's getting words to you. If you will listen to him and if you have gotten a word and and you have maybe like neglected that word, you've put it on the back burner somewhere. You've said it doesn't matter. You've diminished its power in your mind and you've just said, ah, What good is that? What good is following the Lord? What good is following Jesus? I'm telling you, get that word back. Go after that thing. Take care of it. God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness to be. All right. Well, that's not even part of my message. I'm just... Okay, if you have a Bible, which you should, or if you have an iPhone, you should open up your browser to Mark chapter 7, all right? This is in the gospel of the book of Mark. There are three different events that happen in this chapter. I am only going to dwell on one of them today, all right? You should go back and read the rest of this chapter. But today we're going to start at verse 1. It goes like this. The Pharisees and some of the scribes of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. My friend Adam Russell says this. Jesus is not a cuddle mouse. Jesus is not a cuddle mouse. I laugh when I hear him say that. But this is a perfect example of this. Jesus is not politically correct. He's not always gentle. He is not a cuddle mouse. He's a man and he's not scared of telling you the truth. All right. He was minding his own business here. Just going along, doing his own thing. And these people saw fit to go after him. And he just turns and says, 
you bunch of hypocrites. The Bible talked rightly about you. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban or that which should be devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him, and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them, Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? Here's Jesus, kind little sweet Jesus again. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods are clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Guys, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word going forth. We thank you for your holy scripture that bears witness to you and has authority in our lives. And God, we agree with you that the transformative power of your word in a person's life can change the world. And God, we give you access right now to our hearts and minds. And we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit is saying. Amen. All right. Are you guys with me this morning? All right. So even when Jesus is minding his own business, he gets in trouble, right? Even when Jesus is minding his own business, we are still confronted and offended. So who were these scribes and Pharisees and what were the traditions of men that they were observing? Okay, so the thing is this. um, Back in the Old Testament time, after the children of Israel had spent 70 years in exile, they came out of exile and... There were people called scribes and their main job was just to copy down scripture. But what ended up happening was that they began to teach 
what the scriptures meant. And in that teaching, they began to add to the scriptures and they came up with another book referred to as the traditions of the elders, but they were extra. They weren't found in the actual scripture, but they were things that they came up with. They were laws and regulations which were supposed to keep people from defiling themselves so that they could come up with a way to be acceptable to God, all right? So when they're talking about this ceremonial washing that the disciples aren't doing, they're not talking about eating with dirty hands for the sake of hygiene. They're accusing them of neglecting the religion, the religious traditions that they've come up with that everybody for the most part is living by. And if you don't live by those rules, then you're not only in trouble with God, but you're in trouble with them. So when Jesus and his team are not following those rules, when they're going the way of Jesus, the Jesus way instantly confronts the way that exists. You know, you don't have to stand on a street corner and preach the gospel in order to confront the existing powers and principalities that you're walking in. You can be following the Jesus way, adhering to his word in your life, and you will meet with resistance. Don't be shocked when that happens. You're not doing something wrong if you're challenged by people when your walk is purer than what they want you to do. All right? It's just part of being a Christian. I think somewhere along the line, we've lost the idea that to follow Jesus means to sometimes pay the cost of uh, maybe not being acceptable to the society that you're walking in. You're, you know, that's okay, right? That's the cost of following Jesus. Amen. So Jesus and his team are here and they're. They've not washed their hands. They're eating. They're making everybody mad. And instantly Jesus calls them out. And, you know, so so there's the ritualistic cleansing thing. And then there's this thing called Korban that Jesus mentions. And what was happening, this was another one of their religious traditions that they had come up with. So in the Bible, in in the Torah, in, in in the book that Moses wrote down that was given to him by the Lord, one of the main things that God said to people was, honor your father and mother, right? Take care of your parents. Your parents matter. Your mom and dad are important, okay? And, and when you grow up to be an adult and your parents get older, you should take care of your elderly parents. Guess why? Not because God's a great, he, he, he's not a rule maker so that you can be rule keepers. He actually loves old people. He wants people to be taken care of. So he's telling people, here's what you should do. When your parents get older, you need to provide for them when they can no longer provide for themselves. But these fantastic, charismatic, uh, religious people had come up with this weird, strange rule called Korban, which would let people take the money that they would have spent to care for their elderly parents and designate the amount as devotion to God. 
and let their parents go without and still enjoy the benefits of all of that money themselves. See, it never made it into the ministry. It somehow stayed in their pockets. But because of this weird theoretical religious rule, they could designate it as korban, put it in the guise of holiness and godliness, reject their parents, reject the law of the Lord that would have been been life-giving to them and their parents and follow the greed of their own heart and call it holiness. Now, it, this, this, all these concepts are a little strange because most of us in this room probably don't have um, a, a religious thing that we're doing daily and weekly that we're adhering to that, I mean, most of us aren't struggling with uh, keeping a religion in order to satisfy the, you know, to, to please God, right? Am I right? It, can, can we all agree on that? Most of us find this a little bit disconnected from our, our day in and day out reality, right? Okay. Nevertheless, Jesus is coming after us, all right? So we could miss the lesson here because none of us here are too worried about cere- are too worried about ceremonial hand washing. Most of us do not suffer under the control of religious legalism. So the question for us today is what ideas have we elevated to equal status with the word of God? Or better yet, What in our lives are we making greater than what the Bible says? So you have these Pharisees that have written a rule book that they have not even brought to equal status with the law of God. They've actually elevated it to a greater place. But maybe we do have things in our lives like the Pharisees that nullify the word of God in our lives. I mean, Jesus said that. It's, it's, it's a crazy statement. This, this actually puts the fear of God in me. He says, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Isn't that crazy to think that you can actually nullify God's word working in your life with an idea that you hold, that you hold an equal status to or greater than the word of God? You can bring to nothing the power of God working in your life with an idea that you hold in greater status than the word of God. So Jesus lets us off the hook when it comes to religious tradition, but then he confronts us with the reality of the situation. He says, eating with unwashed hands is not what defiles you. The situation is much worse than that. See, these guys, they were making the mistake that cleaning their outward hands would be enough to make them acceptable to God. But Jesus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. The situation is way worse than you having clean hands or not. 
He says, eating with unwashed hands is not what defiles you. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness or folly. These are the things that defile a person. These are the things that make a person feel dirty. Okay, Jesus and the Pharisees, they agreed on this one thing. We have an issue of uncleanness. The Pharisees could feel it just like everybody else in the world could feel it. But their answer to it was to ceremonially ceremonially wash their hands and feet in the correct order. And Jesus is saying the situation is so bad that that is not good enough. And in fact, your obsession with that religious tradition is keeping you from the reality that actually exists so that you can eventually be set free. Because unless you know what the truth is about your sin, there's no way you could ever enter into the grace of being free from your sin. Who's tracking with me so far? So here's the thing. And I hate to bring this up. I really do. I'm sorry for this. But Jesus has an opinion about your sex life. He does. Jesus actually has a thought about what you're doing with your sex life. You shouldn't think for an instant that God is a cuddle mouse and doesn't have a thought about what you're doing with your sex life. He cares. He has an opinion. Jesus has an opinion on you keeping your marriage vows. Jesus has an opinion on whether or not you tell the truth. Jesus has an opinion on the things that have captivated your heart. Are you motivated by greed? Are you motivated by arrogance? Are you eaten up with bitterness? Are you eaten up with hatred? Do you practice slander? Jesus is not letting any of us off the hook. He knows that taking care of our elderly parents is important. It's a thing that brings life and grace. This is, this, this, this could feel like a hard word, but it's really not. It's actually an invitation into the glorious life of living in the fullness and the robust joy of the way of God. So I I used to think that it was impossible for me to do the right thing. I used to think that way. I mean, there's some, some scriptures in the Bible where, you know, like the Apostle Paul is talking about, man, the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I can't do, I, I, I do or I shouldn't do, I do. You know, there's, there's some scriptures like that. And so I think at some point in my younger life, I came to the conclusion, ah, why bother? Why bother with any of this? I can't do any of it. Well, that's a lie. That's, a, that's an absolute lie. Actually, do you know this? You are hardwired to live a righteous life. Once you've been born again and filled with the spirit, the whole goal is that Jesus is leading us into a righteousness, 
a righteous life. We are partakers in the righteousness of Christ. God has called us to walk holy before him. And he is teaching us how to do that. We don't always do it, but we are on our way. There is something to be said about walking in the way that is pleasing to God. So here we have these religious people taking exception to Jesus. Jesus is minding his own business and they are offended by his behavior. And, and we, we are often confronted by God's behavior. He is minding his own business. He's doing his thing and we take exception to it because it doesn't fit our idea of what he should be doing. The scribes and the Pharisees knew how a proper Messiah should behave. And Jesus did not behave in that way. He was an affront to their tradition. So they ask him a question. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? And Jesus, he would be very offensive in our current culture. He just outright calls these guys out and he calls them a bunch of hypocrites. I'm convinced that many times we avoid Jesus in our daily life because we know he likes to confront us on our lives. I do it all the time. I avoid the Lord because I know he's trying to bring me back into his pace, back into his stride, back into his way. But I'm over here like, Yeah, I know what you're going to say, Lord. So I'm just going to hang out over here in this gray area for a while. You know, you know what I'm talking about? What is so interesting about the story is that the Pharisees and Jesus actually agree on something. They both agree that there is an uncleanness that needs to be dealt with. The problem was that because the scribes had elevated their tradition above the word of God, they actually believed that through their ceremonial observances that they were made acceptable to God. They trusted in their legalism. They had the problem right, but their answer was in themselves and not in God. And the interesting thing about this is that The Jewish people were the people of the word. I mean, we have the revelation of God because of the Jewish people. The law was given to Moses and handed down and all the way through the ages to us. But these somewhere along the line, they devalued the word of God. They diminished the word of God and they elevated their ways above God's ways. And they suffered greatly because of it. And they didn't know it. So we have to ask ourselves the question. Do my ideas have more prominence in my life than what God is saying to me through his word? Let me say that again. Do my ideas about my life have more prominence in my mind than what God is saying to me about my life. 
I know this, this probably seems very basic and obvious, but you know, I, I feel like we're living in a culture now, in a church culture, where I, we can't take anything for granted about what people understand about the Lord. And one of the things that I feel like has been so chipped away at, so beaten down, is the authority of the scripture. I feel like if you, if you don't have the anchor of the word in your life, if that is not your beacon, if that is not your standard, if that's not the thing that you're going to, to measure where you're at in your life and with the Lord, then, then you're in a lot of trouble because then it's upon you. It's upon you to figure out what, what is good and what is not. And I've proven to myself enough times that without the scripture, without the holy writ of God in my life, speaking truth to me, even when I don't want to hear it, man, it's the only thing that has kept me this long. And the fact is this, there are going to be times when the Lord comes with, to me with a word that I do not like. And it's at that moment when I can choose to elevate the thing that I'm thinking in my mind over what he's saying to me, or I can come under the word of God and subject myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, is that sometimes you have to obey when you don't understand. We always want the harvest and the fruit ahead of time, or we at least want a picture of it. God, I'll do what you say, but give me an open vision because I want to know that harvest is coming for me. And Jesus is saying, that is not the way this works. In fact, you think you want that, but you don't. Because the goodness that I really have for you comes in the place that you learn to trust me before you see a single thing. When you subject yourself to the word of God in a way that you come under its authority, the grace of God will pour down into your life in ways that you cannot possibly imagine ahead of time. That's the walk of trust. That is the walk of faith with your savior. That's where you get to have a personal relationship with Jesus because it's not about what I believe for you. It's not about what Robin believes for you. It's about what you're obeying the Lord in. Sound like a raging fundamentalist up here, Robin. It's really incredible, the scripture. These people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. You know what that's really saying? That's that's Jesus saying how much he wants to be near us. He's saying these people are messing around with religious traditions and all I want to do is be near them. (laughs) That's amazing. The God of the universe loves people so much that he's calling out all of their jots and tittles of religious things. Those are words. Those are Bible words. 
Jesus said not one jot or tittle will pass away. Uh, I'm not repeating that. That's going on the internet somewhere. I'm so thankful that God desires to be near me. God wants your nearness. God wants your nearness to him. He doesn't want your heart to be far away from him. He wants your heart close to his heart. The human heart has a great capacity for loving God. I believe that God's original design for you and me was to live close to him in communion with him. But we all know that there are some challenges to that. And Jesus lists them. And it's kind of hard to hear because we see ourselves on that list, don't we? I mean, I, I really hope there's no murderers in here. But I don't know. Drive down 77 a couple times and try not to have murder in your heart, you know? I mean, lewdness. I feel I feel like we live in a culture where lewdness is so pervasive that we don't even recognize it when we see it anymore. You know, I mean, malice, deception, slander. I mean, Lord, help me to not have a slanderous mouth. I don't want to talk about my friends behind their back. I want to talk about them in front of their face. Because then it's not slander, right? But no, seriously, we don't want to be a slanderous people. But man, we've got these things going on in our lives sometimes. And Jesus is coming after those things in us. And it's very painful. You know, guys, I know I've said this before, but when you read these stories about Pharisees and scribes and you see Jesus challenging these guys, You can sit there and read that story and think to yourself, man, I'm glad I'm not those people. That is the first indicator that you are on the list, baby. So the deal is this. You take this scripture and you, I mean, you don't have to beat yourself up with it, but you can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, Where are these things on this list that you're talking about working in my life? Because I want to know. And I can't deal with them all by myself. But I know you've got the power and that power resides in me. And that thing's working its way to help me out of all this stuff. Jesus is not leaving us on our own with this stuff, you guys. But it's still hard to hear, isn't it? I mentioned that earlier, man. That's why I don't come near Jesus some days because I'm just not ready to deal with what he has to say to me. Nevertheless, when I'm coming back around, I know I've got a deal. So, and here's the other thing. We also live in a society right now where it's super convenient and easy to blame everybody else for what is going on in my heart. I would rather blame somebody else for all of that list. I would, I would rather blame anybody else but me, actually. I would rather blame systems of injustice. 
You know, there's a lot of talk everywhere nowadays about systems of injustice. And I'm not saying that those things don't exist, but here's what I am saying. Um, I am a man of very little power. Nobody in the political realm is listening to me. Nobody in the economic realm is listening to me. I have an opinion on many things, but none of those people in power care what I think. But I do have the power to deal with the systems of injustice in my own heart. In fact, the Lord is holding me responsible for those things. That's the first place where we can actually bring real and measurable change. My theory is this. Many people have stuff going on in their heart that they also see out there in society. And rather than taking the time to deal within, they spend all of their energy dealing without. Just like the Pharisees washing their hands before their meal. They had the problem right, but the solution was all wrong. And Jesus, they meet Jesus in this place. And Jesus is going, here's the thing. You've got to deal with the heart. Are you tracking with me? So I'd rather blame systems of injustice. I'd rather blame politicians and politics. I'd rather blame rich people than I'd rather blame poor people. And then I'd rather blame everybody in between. I'd rather blame somebody else than deal with myself and my own heart. I love how in the story, Jesus doesn't confront legalism by saying that how we behave isn't important. Man, in fact, he puts a premium on what we do, doesn't he? So like Jesus is confronted by these legalists and, and, and they're saying, oh, here's the rules. You're not a rule follower. You're busted, Jesus. This is not how proper messiahs act. If I were the Messiah, I would say this. Rules don't matter, guys. We're free from the law. Take your list of things to do and to not do and shove them, you know. Jesus doesn't do that. He takes them back to the law. He's overcoming their legalism with the Bible. He doesn't say the stuff that we said to you earlier doesn't count and doesn't matter. He's saying this stuff is eminently important and you're missing it because you're messing around with all these things that have dominance in your brain. And you need to take that thing and bring it under my lordship. Because taking care of the elderly matters. Honoring your father and mother matters. Not committing sexual immorality matters. Not slandering matters. Not practicing deceit matters. Those things matter to God. Amen? I love how the story, Jesus doesn't confront legalism by saying it doesn't matter how we behave. In fact, he says it actually does. He's not letting us off the hook. He is telling the truth about sin that defiles us. And if we can receive what he is saying, 
we can actually be set free. Because here's the thing. You don't get free from sin by denying sin's existence. You don't get free from sin by saying something isn't sinful. You don't get free from these things that Jesus mentioned are running rampant in the human heart by saying, no, that's not really real. That's all in your head, Jesus. Those things don't really exist in the human heart. That's not how you get set free. You get set free by agreeing with Jesus on this point. These things are real and they are wanting to work in us and through us. You don't get free from the stuff in your heart by washing the outside the way the Pharisees did. Remember, God desires nearness. He desires your heart. He desires to be close to you. You have to take all that stuff that you have going on inside of you to Jesus. So earlier when I was talking about avoiding God, when I have stuff going on with me that I don't really want to hear what he has to say about, well, that's the part that I have to get over, isn't it? That's the part where I have to say, well, Lord, I don't really like this stuff going on with me. I don't like this stuff going on in my life. It's not good. It's not producing good fruit in my life. I was with my friend David Harwood this week, and uh, he's been a pastor for 40 years, 40 plus years. He's a man of great wisdom. And he he was talking to me about the ripple effect. And the ripple effect of sin is, well, it, it's fairly clear, but if I if I break the law of God in one way, it doesn't just affect me in that moment. It affects all the people around me and then it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a real life example in my own life, okay? My mom and dad, and, and please let me, let me tell you this, I'm not a victim. I'm just telling you this is the way it was. My mom and dad decided to not be married anymore when I was five years old, Okay? The implications of that one decision affected and have affected me for the rest of my life. Okay, that is not a sob story, but I'm telling you that the the implications, the, the things that happened to me because of one poor choice, one bad choice that was made has affected generations actually. Now, thankfully, the Lord saved me, has redeemed my life. I'm a productive citizen of planet Earth. Thank God. You know, I mean, just because your parents are divorced doesn't mean you, you know, have to live a terrible life. I I have not led a terrible life, but there have been very real relational consequences due to that one event. Okay, and I'll say it the opposite direction. Okay, and please hear me. If you're divorced in here, grace be upon you. There is therefore now no condemnation. We are not talking about anything having to do with eternal acceptance by the Lord. I'm just talking to you nuts and bolts about the way this stuff works. 
But when you make a decision to stay married, it doesn't just affect you and your spouse. It affects your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. There are powerful forces at work when we choose to go God's way. It matters what we do. That's why Jesus is fighting for this stuff. He's not fighting for this stuff to make your life difficult and hard. He's fighting for this stuff because he knows what a blessing it will prove to be in your own life. Are you with me this morning? I really hope this has not been too hard of a word for you this morning, but I really, I felt it in my spirit this week to go after some of this stuff. And I really hope it strengthens you and girds you up that, that the scriptures, the Holy Bible are, I mean, it's a lamp unto our feet, isn't it? If you don't know what to do, get in the word. If you don't understand the word, find somebody who can help you with it. You know, it is possible to read the Bible and to come to the wrong conclusions, right? That's why we have to do this together. Amen? Like, you would not believe how many times Robin has to correct my interpretation of the word. It's a fantastic situation, right? Like in Jesus's day, you could not open the scrolls without the elders present. And the reason is because you might think that you understand what you're reading. You could only open the word among the elders and then they would kind of put their minds together to discover what the Lord was saying. I'm almost done, guys, I promise. Everybody good? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel happy? All right. It's interesting. It's interesting how good God's law is. God's law is good. Okay, if you, if you have this division in your mind that says something like this, God's law bad, God's grace good, do you, do you have that dichotomy going on there? God's law bad, God's... You, you actually don't think that, right? I mean, you may think that, but you don't live that way because you agree that murdering people is bad. It's true. That's an extreme example, but that's God's law. That's a good thing. We want to live in a society where that law is upheld. Amen? But there's also all these other things that we want to do too. God's law is good for our souls. So I always hear this thing about what a taskmaster the law is, but honestly, it is very practical and it is very good. And God gave us his ethics because he loves people and he wants us to have good and peaceful lives. So when Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and scribes for kicking old people to the curb, it wasn't because he's an old cranky rule keeper. It's because he loves old people. I know I've already said that, but it's worth saying again. The Pharisees were for the sake of their own greed, giving permission to people to not take care of their elderly parents so that they could pocket the money themselves. I mean, seriously, on the scale of what's messed up and what's not, that's seriously messed up. They needed to be called out. You know, you know listen, 
you should not be afraid of being called out in your life because sometimes you're just messed up and you need friends in your life who need to help you to stop being messed up. And if you develop a personality where you can never receive correction, that's a really bad place to live. Because you are not an island unto yourself. You do not have all wisdom that you need. You do not walk in all the grace that God is trying to get into your life. And there are other people that God's trying to put in your life to get that grace to you that you so desperately need. But if you develop this personality where you're always offended by a hard word or some preacher shows up and is saying things that, well, I don't really like the way he's putting that. And you're talking yourself out of so much of the goodness of God working it out in your life. If you're a parent, you understand that your kids are not always going to be happy and blessed by the things that you say to them. But you know that those kids need what you're trying to give to them. And if they don't receive it, they're going to end up being not nice little kids. Amen. We all know some not nice little kids, don't we? You know, what's more annoying than a not nice little kid, right? Well, a not nice big person, that's more annoying. So those Pharisees, they were blinded by their religious arrogance and they believed the lie that they were doing everything correctly. So I want you to think about this. Jesus did not confront the legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees by doing away with the authority of scripture. He dealt with their legalism through the authority of scripture. Let me say that again, because you need to get this. Jesus did not deal, he did not do away with their legalism by doing away with the authority of scripture. He dealt with their legalism through the authority of scripture. Here's the thing, just like that scripture that Jesus quotes out of, out of Isaiah, I do not want to just honor God with my lips. I don't want to have a heart that's far from him. And the wonderful thing is, I have instant access to all the forgiveness and grace of God that I need. The amazing thing about this life with God is that it may be difficult for me to get my issues to him, but it is not difficult for him to free me from my issues. It is not difficult for him to forgive me and to pour out his river of mercy on my soul. It is not difficult for Jesus to bring peace and security and patience and kindness into my life. Even when I've done stupid things. I don't want to worship God in vain. And elevate my own ideas above the scriptures. I want to come under the lordship of Jesus. And I want to submit to his word. Because his word is life to me. His word is life to us. And I want to, I want to close by doing this. I got the scripture in 2 Peter. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Um, if you don't know it. You should meditate on it this week. Because it really fights the idea 
that we are powerless to live out the life that God has in store for us. You are not powerless to growing in righteousness and holiness. You are not. You are not. I mean, today you may be the biggest fool in this room. You might have made so many bad mistakes in your life that it just seems insurmountable. But all you have to do is make one degree of a turn and agree with the Lord that the way you've been living hasn't been right. Come under his lordship and he will download to you everything that you need to walk moment by moment, day by day in the fullness of his love. It's found in second Peter and it goes like this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And of Jesus, our Lord, catch this now, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus, who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, he is not talking about dying and going to heaven. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about your life right now on the earth, that you have everything that you need right now to walk according to the righteousness of God. That's fantastic news, church. That is fantastic news. And he goes on. But also for this very reason, I want you to be diligent. I want you to give all your diligence to this. Add to your faith virtue. And I want you to add to your virtue knowledge. And then I want you to add to what you know, some self-control. And to self-control, I want you to persevere. I want you to add perseverance. And then to that perseverance, I want you to add godliness. And then to godliness, I want you to add brotherly kindness. And then to brotherly kindness, love. Isn't it interesting Not once in this whole passage did he say, here's what you should do. You should pray for all these things. He's looking at these believers and he says, I want you to add virtue to your life. Diligently adding virtue and knowledge and self-control. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Oh man, we're, we're for, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now this is real interesting. Barrenness and unfruitfulness exist when you nullify the word of God in your life. Back what Jesus said When he's quoting Isaiah, he's talking to the Pharisees. You're nullifying the word of God in your life because you're doing all of these other things. And here we see right now that you can add virtue, self-control, brotherly kindness, and love. You can add those things into your life so that you cannot be barren, so that you can bear fruit, and that you are not nullifying the word of God in your life. Amen? So good. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the thing. There is a spiritual component to this. Okay, there's our part and then there's the Lord's part. And that's all grace. It's grace in our lives. So why don't we stand together just for a minute? Let's stand together. Mm, praise the Lord. Who, who, who's been encouraged in here today? All right. Some of you have been encouraged. That's good. Listen, I, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed unless the Lord is overwhelming you. I don't want to overwhelm you, but I definitely want the Lord to overwhelm you. But here's the thing is that I don't want you to feel like this vision that I've given you is too much. You know? I know that God is faithful to help us in these things. So let's go before the throne of grace right now. And let's just expect the spirit of God to move upon us and to move us into these things. Okay. Father, we have come today to feast on your word. We thank you for the word that orients us to you, into your life, into your godliness, Lord. And I thank you for your grace that you have bestowed upon us today. And I want to just break off every lie of condemnation, every lie of shame, every lie of guilt, every lie of hopelessness. And I break those things off in Jesus' name. Father, those things do not belong to us. They are not our inheritance. But Father, we strengthen ourselves in your might by your spirit right now. And Father, the things that we have fallen short in, the the things, the messes that we find ourselves in the middle of even now, we submit them to you. We give them to you right now, Jesus. And we lift our expectation for help. And we believe that you are leading us into your ways. We're already there, Lord. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.